Hello and welcome back to the Star Wars Universe Podcast. Today we are talking about The Clone Wars, Season 1, Episodes 19, 20, 21, and 22. Today we are finishing up the first season of Clone Wars with the three-parter of the Battle for Ryloth, and then the hostage crisis in which uh, cowboy outlaws try to rescue the most ridiculous hut you will ever meet. All this and more after this commercial break that we have no control over. Welcome back, everyone. I'm your host, Matthew S. Fox. Joining me, as always, for the Clone War discussions are uh, Riki and Sarah. Hey, oh. folks. How are we doing today? Hi. Hello. We're all right. How are you? Not bad. Not bad. We are excited to get to the uh, uh, thrill-packed action ride that is the end of Season 1. Yeah. The, we mean, made it. We made it. <laughs> I think the end of Season 1 is by far, like, the best block of episodes we've encountered, so... Mm. Yeah, I'm excited. Okay. I, I think there's one very, very good episode in here. The others I'm not quite as fond of, so I'm definitely going to uh, look forward to uh, oh, jumping no, into like that with you. I like them all. <laughs> yeah? What are kind of some of your uh, general thoughts on them? Well, I mean, we get a pretty good three-part arc where it doesn't feel like there's filler. Like mm-hmm. they, they tell a cohesive narrative about this planet Ryloth, but each episode has a different focus, has a different set of characters they focus on. So right. it keeps it from getting stale. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, um, and I guess kind of similar feelings. I do feel like there's a lot of issues that they could have dove deeper in, um, especially in the first episode, Storm Over Ryloth. But yeah, I thought we had like a, a really engaging three-part series. And then episode 22, Hostage Crisis, is just like them pulling out all the stops. Uh, and I get like super excited for season two. It was a random tack on at the end of the season. <laughs> it was, but it's fun. It's like it's what I want my Star Wars media to be. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah, I I definitely didn't was not a fan of that last one. I I I liked some of the Ryloth now. stuff. I know, I know. <laughs> um, I especially love the middle of the three Ryloth stories. The um um. Uh, the Innocence of Ryloth, which we'll get to, because I think that's it's one of the most intense about the effects of war and stuff like that. I um, he, Here's my overall question, though. So this is all about the battle for the Twi'lek homeworld. Mm-hmm. Ahsoka is a Twi'lek, isn't she? Okay. This no. is, we were We were just talking about this before we started recording. I also thought she was a Twi'lek. Apparently, she's just a different race of what I lovingly refer to as meat hair species uh-huh i think it's a hat i don't think it's a hat i think that's her hair yeah i i i was confused about that for a while but it certainly does seem like that's that's so so that that is her like headpiece or whatever like it's not it's not something she wears it is something that is a part of her body yeah it's um, like it's the meat hair but i think like, cer- it grows with her right it's certainly drawn very much like um the Twi'leks, uh, which is why I got so confused. So if, if she's not a Twi'lek, what race is she? Do we know? She is a page loading. <laughs> <laughs> the most a very race. famous race. Togruta. Togruta. Okay. From the homeworld right. Shili. Okay. Well, that, uh, that, that answers that question. So that's, that's good to know. It doesn't really. <laughs> um, I, I, she's not a Twi'lek, which is my point. So, um, Okay. All right. Well, given so that, the, why don't we? 
There was oh, a, go ahead. There was a Togruta Jedi, I guess, in the live action movies. Uh huh. And well, maybe this is Ahsoka. I don't know. Like a cosplay of Ahsoka. She looks more like it, it's part of her body rather mm-hmm. than like mm. a hat. And there's um, we have we <clears throat> encountered. So I know there there is like a Jedi Master Shakti, right? Yeah. Has she, have we met her yet? I, I know she's in the Clone Wars, but I can't remember if we've seen her in season one. She like Riki's doing some some deep dives, but yeah, uh, I found other people also confused about Ahsoka's hair. But yeah, the, the stuff on her head are uh-huh. like what Twilight have. Um, right. It's apparently called Liku, but yeah, it's, it's yeah. like her hair. Okay, I mean, it, it like, you know, different races have hair, different races have shells, different races have, you know, I guess th- these things. That, that mm-hmm. it, it doesn't seem evolutionarily impossible that it would be unique to only one race, but just uh, an interesting thing, so. Okay. All of this is evolutionarily impossible. <laughs> unless, unless there was a race, a very advanced race, that went around and seeded their DNA on all of these plants. Oh, wait, that's Star Trek. No, 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 no. Wrong star franchise. It makes total sense that every alien race, no matter what planet would be, would be humanoid enough as to not make us uncomfortable. That's ninety percent biped. (laughs) I mean, it's also very convenient for like spaceship design, general infrastructure planning. Like Mm -hmm. when everyone's a biped, roughly everyone's a biped, or like can at least sit down in the same chair. Pretty much everyone can survive on a class M planet with mm-hmm. about the same gravitational and, and atmospheric conditions. Yep, yep. About the, about the same heights. Yep. Right? <laughs> it's, so, no it's one, an... yeah. Anyway, so let's, uh, let's get into these ones. So we start with episode 19, Storm over Ryloth. Ryloth, homeworld of the Twi'lek people, has been subjugate, subjected to military occupation by the droid army of the Separatists and surrounded by a blockade of Trade Federation battleships. While launching a surprise attack against the blockade, Ahsoka disobeys Anakin's orders and ends up losing most of her squadron. Even though she's emotionally rocked by this failure, Anakin helps her learn to persevere, placing her in charge of another risky attack. What do we think of uh, a 10-year-old General Ahsoka leading (laughs) men into battle, getting them all killed, and then getting right back up on that horse? Is she 10 in this episode? I think let's let me see if I can look her up. I she certainly to me she is preteen at this point. She yeah. is somewhere in the um uh you know ten to twelve kind of range maybe. She's she's definitely not old enough to be doing this. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I think my favorite line of the series maybe comes from um the Ad- Admiral narrator. I don't know what his actual uh, name is, but he's Admiral Ularen. Ularen, okay, who also is the voice of the narrator, uh, asks Anakin if he le- if Ahsoka learned to be disobedient from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, yes, yes, she did. 100%. That's where she learned it from. Yeah, it, it is interesting to me listening to a number of the le- lessons that Anakin tries to teach her are exactly the things that, um, you know, Obi Wan tried to teach Anakin that. Uh, he laughed out of the room. Yeah, a- Anakin is a massive hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> what? And, 
And Ahsoka straight up calls him out on that. I mean, I think there's one point where he's saying, like, no, you've got to follow orders. And she says, but you never follow orders or something like that. Yeah, and he, like, hand waves it away by being like, well, I... I well, I was right. Yeah. Or something, right? <laughs> All right, so according to this, Ahsoka was born in 36 BBY, which oh. is before the Battle of Yawin. Oh. And the, the Clone Wars takes place... Um, like 18? Is it minus uh, 22. So she's 14. Okay. Still, too young to be doing this. What were you yeah. doing at 14? <laughs> yeah, not... I was not... Co- yeah. <laughs> well, I think we were both not commanding of a fleet mm-hmm. of clones. Um, yeah. And it's it's a weird surprise attack to begin with. And the fact that she's so she so cavalierly dismisses the Admiral when he... Mm-hmm. Uh, radios her in and tells her, you know, g- g- fall back. He's like, nah. Which is <laughs> just like, that's not, not how you talk to an admiral, young lady. Yeah. It, there's a lot about her, like, I love her plot line in terms of the way her character is developing. Mm-hmm. But it's a sort of question of like, I love watching her, her character do what her character does while being placed in this utterly ridiculous situation that no one should place someone in. Um, Like, because it, it feels like part of what's happening is that Anakin is saying, like, listen, you made a mistake. You're going to make more mistakes, but it's okay for you to make mistakes in order to learn and grow because I want you to become more confident. And I don't want you to back down, and so I'm not going to let you back down. Yeah, this is very, this is like very main character centric plotting in my opinion. Right. Because it's. It's all designed to make Ahsoka a better character, a better leader, whatever. Uh-huh. And it ignores the cost in, exactly. in clones, in vehicles and equipment. Like, in well, a the, real the Admiral, war... Like, the Admiral got gravely injured, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. In, a, in a real war, they wouldn't do this. And certainly if someone failed, they wouldn't send them right back out to like get back on that horse. Like, Riki, I was actually thinking about you because, um, for our listeners who don't know, uh, Riki is the judge manager, I believe, is your is the, your official title? No, but keep or, going. Okay. <laughs> Riki is is in charge of, or at least helps to run the um uh the judges for um Star City Games uh Magic the Gathering events, and so I know and I know you really care about the development of your judges and helping people learn, and when people make mistakes, helping to give them another chance. But that also, like, you don't want to put someone in a position where they're going to fail and fail again, even if they learn, if it's going to screw up the events you're trying to run. Um, right, right. The, you know, fail, like, failing is okay, but you have to weigh the costs. Right. And that's what it seems no one does here. And it's partially it seems like this is once again like, well, we only lose some clones and they're just kind of equipment. Who cares? Mm-hmm. But A, Anakin should be the one to care about that. But also, like like you said, if they lose this battle, then it's a huge problem. Um and just well they lost a frigate yeah or whatever they are and, yeah one of the the major Ma- ships and mace mace windu and obi-wan kenobi are waiting you know a light a light speed jump away for them to break this blockade mm-hmm. so there's a lot riding on the on breaking the blockade because if they don't those two can't come in and they can't liberate this planet yeah and the, so it's a very high stakes battle it's super high stakes and the fact it wasn't like she made a small tactical error she like blatantly disobeyed orders um 
right? Like it wasn't it wasn't as though they gave her like what they do they do immediately afterwards, or they're like, "Well, you're in charge, bye," um, and let her make decisions. They were telling her explicitly, like, "No, fall back," and she's like, "Nah, I got this." Yeah. Because I think the battle starts kind of even, like it's three ships versus three ships or something, and then four more separatist frigates jump in, and it's like, oh, we're we're outgunned, this was a trap, let's regroup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it just seems so wrong. Um, and, it's, and like, the pattern that's been established up till now has always been... Um, you know, Anakin takes these stupid chances, but they always work out. He's always mm-hmm. right. And so everyone's sort of like, well, Anakin, you shouldn't have done that, but at least it's okay because it all worked out. And in this case, it doesn't. And then, especially I think what really got to me was later in the episode when she's once again placed into a position of command. She doesn't seem to be know what she's doing. And yet everyone else in the, like, you know, even the, the commander of the ship is still saying to this 14-year-old, you need to make the decision. Yeah. Um, like and Rex shows a lot of faith in her, right? Because the, part... the the uh, the bridge officer clone is kind of mm-hmm. like, is this does this sound like a good plan? And Rex is just like, no, we're gonna do what she says. Yeah, yeah, and that uh, I so once again, it's the kind of thing where like I don't know how much credit to give the writers because I'm hoping this was intentional because if it was, it's really kind of good and it sets up something kind of important, which is. I think what we're supposed to get out of this is just the ridiculously high esteem that all of the everyone else in the Republic, you know, army and navy and armada and all that hold for the Jedi. Mm. Because I, it seems to me that there's this thought of not just like she's going to make a stupid decision, but we've got to back her up. But no, she's a Jedi, so she won't make a mistake. And I, if that's what the writers were going for, it's absolutely brilliant. I was just about to pivot into. Uh, ripping on the writers a little bit constructively criticizing the the writers a little bit so first of all this is like a a, a written by committee situation it looks like there's three writers um listed as the writer for this episode so i think that might be some of it but like Uh especially when anakin's giving his little like pep talk to ahsoka it just feels really hokey Mm -hmm. um and like very yeah, it kind of played out. And I agree if if it was this intentional, like, setting up to show how much reverence everybody has for the Jedi, that would be cool. But, like, it doesn't... It feels like that's, like, an accidental thing that happened, like, not a thing that was being planned to happen. Yeah. Especially, and especially just, like, his pep talk is so weird. Like, we get the the return of the ridiculous nicknames. And he's just like, aw, you'll get him next time, kid. What? Let me turn around and look at something over here. Oh, no, you've gone away to mope somewhere. Like, it's just really formulaic and yeah. strange. Like, it it, it it felt like really strange, strained dialogue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big fan of the show Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And, and part of what I like about that show is, you know, it's all about teenagers who are dealing with teenage problems while also dealing with literal end of the world problems. And the show kind of makes fun of that um, and sort of uses one as a mirror for the other. But here we have kind of like, you know, there's an interesting story about like the teenager and her senpai between like Anakin and, and um, Ahsoka. But then what is played out is owned oh, by the way, the two of you are leaders in an intergalactic war uh, or galactic war, at least. Uh, it just makes no sense to me. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the, the dynamic of Anakin and Ahsoka's relationship is like really weird in this episode as well. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, it is obviously like you said that sort of uh, teacher-student relationship, but I don't know. It felt very paternal in this episode. I don't know if that was like just me. Mm. Um, but yeah, it just I don't know. It felt a little like he was patronizing her. Which I mean, like, he probably was, honestly. Um, right? Because it was just this, like, oh, don't worry, kiddo. You killed a bunch of clones. Get back on that horse. Yes. Yeah. Killed a bunch of clones. Rest in peace. Okay, here's here's our names. Axe. Oh, yeah, Axe. Slammer. Kickback. Tucker. And Swoop. Yeah. That's her squadron. We got to, to hear Axe's name a whole bunch. Sort yep. of a dead he, he almost made it. Right. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I think it's correct. <clears throat> yeah, it's a tough one. It's a tough one, but I, I, I think, like I said, it's kind of we're not sure what credit to give the writers, but I do like this episode, uh, especially in sort of just like giving us another picture of what's happening in the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, especially with like sort of the Twilight, how they're they're impacted by the war, not as fighters from one side or the other, but like they have this this blockade. Right. Um, and it's sort of, they're just, um, like, bystanders, I guess, who get sort of mm-hmm. caught in the, the crossfire of the battle between the uh, separatists and the yeah, Jedi sir, <laughs> and I mean, other sir, people. The impression seems to be that Ryloth is, like, I mean, they're a strong supporter of the Republic. They have a senator and they have some officials in the Republic government, but they're not, like, a superpower. You know, this is mm. not a huge bastion of economic or military power for the Republic. It's kind of just this like backwater planet that is getting, as you said, caught in the middle. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, we'll get to that in the next episode. Oh, yeah. oh. <laughs> but I, I have, so I have two things go for it about this episode. First is my usual rant <laughs> about why do you have bridges on your spaceships? Right. Like in the front of your spaceships. Well, on the top. Mm. So the the flagship that Anakin and Yularen yep. are on at the beginning, they're like, "Our shields are down," and then like one vulture fighter breaks through and crashes into their bridge, and that right. that ship is like basically done for. Mm-hmm. And that's what hurts Admiral Yularen so badly. And mm-hmm. then at the end of the episode, Ahsoka's brilliant plan is to angle their ship so that their vulnerable bridge is not facing the enemy. And and the hull, like the bottom of the hull, which is heavily armored, will, will bear the brunt of the assault. Just build your ship that way. Yeah. 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 Well, yeah. And especially like you'd think like, you know, mil- they always say like military people are always fighting the last war. And OK, so this is a pretty fa- important battle. It probably goes down in the records. So why is it that 20 years later at the Battle of Endor, the Imperial Star Destroyer, yeah, which is thing. based on this ship we're seeing is destroyed in the exact same way by an A-Wing crashing into the bridge. Yeah, forward deflectors go down, a, a, a single starfighter crashes into the bridge, and you're done. Well, you gotta have that, that windscreen. You need that view of yeah. the black nothingness of space Just use the cameras. Yeah. Install a bunch of cameras on your ship and put your bridge in the center of your ship, where it is heavily armored. Well, what if it's a cloud? It was definitely a, a not great moment. So l- let's go on to uh, episode 20 that I, I actually think... Oh, there's a second thing. I got a second thing. Oh, no, sir. Go ahead. Go ahead. We didn't talk at all about the captain, the uh, the Separatist captain. Oh, gosh. This guy is 
actually kind of interesting to me. Mm. Is is the captain the one that looks like he's two robots in a trench coat? No. Okay. You're thinking of Wat Tambor. I the, the the Emir who is on the surface. Right. Yeah. The captain is the one on the ship who is like Ah, my opponent is oh, General yes, Skywalker. Yes, 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 yes. Let okay. me study his files. And he is like actually seems like a semi competent military leader to me. Wait, right. isn't that one Jeffrey Tambor? Which is the <laughs> No. No. This no, the captain is never named in the episode. Oh, okay. But in, in the credits, apparently he is Captain Mar Tuk or Tuck. Okay. Yeah, he he's a Neomodian, I believe. And he's yes. he, like the lead the the I'm trying to think what's the best way to phrase this. Like he's the he 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 seems the most at home in a military setting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. He doesn't seem like a bureaucrat who's just like been pushed into this. Right. So yeah. I don't know. I, I found that interesting that that they actually have a decent military commander, and mm-hmm. he decides to do some research on his opponent. <laughs> and and it makes sense because, you know, I mean, one of the worst things you can be in a war is predictable, and at yeah. this point. Like, Anakin is always unpredictable, but he's kind of predictable in that. Like, that he's mm-hmm. always going to go off and do something crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that Obi-Wan is going to be very different. Mace Windu is very different. So, yeah, I, I, I did, I'm glad you brought that up. I did like the idea of the general who's kind of paying attention to those things and, and is saying, like, yeah, like, bring me the file on this person. Let's see what we're actually up against. Yeah. I got, like, low-key Grand Admiral Thrawn vibes. I can see that. Obviously not, not a student of art. Yeah. <laughs> because that's how you truly know your opponent. Okay. This exactly. is the thing. So this is why like extended universe fans love Grand Admiral Thrawn. He studies the art of his opponent's race. And somehow that lets him predict their tactics. Like their their cultural yeah. right. Because if because... you study humans, you know, like Da Vinci and Picasso are obviously the same and you can know everything about how a human general will I mean, that's what my fine arts degree says. Well, and like, I mean, Da Vinci and Picasso is one thing, but according to Thrawn, you could take a look at like, you know, Da Vinci, Ming Dynasty pottery and Aboriginal, you know, uh, uh, cave paintings. Yeah, cave paintings. Like, and, and it would all teach you the same thing because all humans are one basic culture who all react in the same way. Um, I love Grand Animal Thrawn. And when I read that, when I was. 15 i thought it was the greatest thing i'd ever read and i i reread them recently and i was like oh my god this makes absolutely no sense whatsoever he's the boba fett of military commanders yeah it's like there's no way any person should should actually be like this but they are that's the way they're written Mm. so the fans love it but Mm. in in sort of the star wars universe like to give grand admiral some some credit uh cultures do seem a little more um monolithic yeah monolithic uh right where where in like even a planet might just be all one culture and it's always one temperature and one i mean this is like all science fiction yeah it is star trek is the same right like klingons are angry warriors (laughs) klingons Mm -hmm. are klingons there's no klingon scientists for a year greedy yep romulans are sneaky yep yep and like on klingon it's always like dark and there's like a red sky and there's smoke somewhere Except that all all underwater, yeah. Always, humans are the one race that gets to be, you know, multifaceted. multifaceted. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, yeah. And that it's science fiction, but it's also it's it's also fantasy. You know, 
dwarves are always Scottish miners. Um, <laughs> elves are always, um, you know, high tea loving British ethereal people who are kind of confusing. Yeah. Um, and often somewhat Aryan. Um, yeah. No. <laughs> Oh yeah, but yeah, no, it's it's definitely a good comment, and 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 for, for that alone, it was nice. Like I had to do a double take to see that the captain was actually um, part of the Trade Federation because he was acting so differently than any of the others that we've seen so far. Yeah, mm-hmm. he, he was <clears throat> he wasn't a, a bumbling idiot. Yeah, well, he okay. wasn't a bumbling idiot, and he didn't seem like the kind of like I will use the droid army, but I don't ever want to get my hands dirty with war. Um, yeah, it's like he knew what he was doing. Yeah, yeah. All right, with that, um, shall we turn to episode 20, Innocence of Ryloth? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, and this is, I, I think this is my favorite of, of the first season. Um, I'm curious what you guys think of it. It's a really good one. I really like it. I'm going to start with, crying right now. Yeah. <laughs> with the space blockade oh. around Ryloth destroyed, Obi-Wan must lead a small clone force into a droid-occupied town to sabotage their anti-aircraft guns. Obi-Wan's mission is complicated when he learns the town's inhabitants are being used as living shields. A pair of clones in his patroon... In his platoon, forge an unlikely friendship with a ret- refugee Twilight girl, Numa, who has been orphaned by the war. Through their relationship with her, the clones begin to understand the real cost of the war. <sighs> yeah. It's... So, go ahead. I, for me, the moment that will always stand out because it just it, it hit me like a gut punch is when it's very early in the episode, and one of those two soldiers, even before they find the little girl, but is talking about just like the difficulties of urban combat and having to not kill innocents. And he sa- I forget the exact wording, but he basically says, if these tailheads want to want us to rescue their planet, why are they getting in our way? Mm-hmm. And it hit me so hard because what I heard was every American soldier who started to resent the Vietnamese for not letting them rescue, you know, save the planet, save the country. Mm-hmm. Um, it just was such a like, you know, and I think it's a very common thing that happens during war is you're sent to save a civilian population. But, you know, it's frustrating. It's difficult. Resentment builds up and you start to become like racist, but also just like a level of like dehumanization or de, you know, sentient identification, whatever it is, mm-hmm. builds up against these people who you're supposed to to help. Yeah, definitely. What the... I guess my bone to pick, I guess, with this episode is it, it kind of ties things up a little too neatly by the end, maybe. But yeah, mm-hmm. um, the fact that the the clones, so it's, it's Waxer and Boyle who've been sent off. Uh, and like one of them is less racist than the other and more like, hey, look, they're living creatures. Um, and the other is just like, we, we're here, we're here to do a job. So I think it's, it's interesting to see these two different attitudes coming from the clones, mm-hmm. um, which is sort of highlighting the individuality of the clones, which is interesting. But also, yeah, that like, like the idea of calling someone tailhead, like clearly that's an epithet we've ever heard before. But I mean, like, I, I didn't like it at all. It was... A little too close to towel head, mm. which is a slur used against uh, Muslims. Right. And, and it's just like, I, I don't want a cartoon, even if it's a science fiction space race, like, I don't want these casual racist epithets, racial mm. slurs. Yeah, I was going to say, like, it's very easy to tell, like, 
that's a that's a slur that he's using just given the context even without knowing it right um well enrique let me ask you like um because i i agree with you that it is very clearly a slur to me it was powerful because it, it's showing the use of the slur and and how important and how uh disturbing that is if, if they'd come up with a slur that didn't seem in any way to reference an actual slur used in our own world would you have would you have felt better with that, or you just not want a character using a racist, racist slur? I mean, so they they use slurs like uh, clankers and seppies, you know, for separatists mm-hmm. for their opponents. But I, I think the fact that it's referencing a physical attribute raises it to the level that I am un- uncomfortable with. Fair. I argue that like clanker is representing a physical attribute, but I mean, it's also dealing with a non-humanoid species. Is that yeah. why it's like different? Right. It's about the clones who we're not supposed to have any moral weight for. Mm-hmm. No, it's uh, the droids. Yeah. Oh, that's what I meant, the droids. Yeah, sorry, yeah. the droids. No, I'm, I'm doing it all the time when I say yeah. clones and mean droids. No, and Enrique, I mean, you're making me think about it because I, I'm on the fence because I, 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 it's one of those things where it's like, you know, there's an importance of media that talks about hard issues, but how do you do that without just, you know, re-stigmatizing and re-traumatizing people? You know, like, how do you tell a story about sexual violence without showing sexual violence on the screen? Mm-hmm. And, like, you know, for a while there was an idea that, like, in order to tell a story about why racism is bad, you had to have character white characters on screen saying the N-word every five seconds. Um, and, and so I definitely hear where you're coming from. I just... I. I think for me, it was, I'm trying to imagine a way they could have done that scene that would have been so effective to me in really conveying that idea of these soldiers are supposed to be here to help the Twi'leks, but instead they are completely dehumanizing the Twi'leks or de whatever it is. Um, So yeah, that's where I'm just kind of really wrestling with because I hear what you're saying, but I also found like it was such a, uh, for me at least, such a moving and important part of what they were trying to show. Yeah. that being said, I'm also coming from it from a point of privilege where I'm not of a racial background where I've ever had to uh, consider someone using slurs like this against me. So it, it's entirely possible that's my privilege speaking. Um, but it's 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 a good question that you're raising for sure. Well, I mean, I think if you want to explore the idea of racism in science fiction, like there's nothing better than Star Trek. Mm. Unfortunately, like, we're going to keep talking about Star Trek <laughs> on the Star, Star Wars Trek's podcast. <laughs> Um, but they had, so like classic Trek, the original series had an episode where there was an, uh, an alien character who half of his face was white mm-hmm. and half of his face was black, like literally half, like straight right. down the middle. And he was in a conflict with another person from his race and the... Like, not from his race, from his planet. Yeah, from his planet. And, and uh, the Enterprise crew was very confused, like this person is like the same as you like why why do you hate each other he's like what do you mean we're the same like he's clearly different he's half white on the other side and half black on the other side and they're they're literally like the face was mirror reversed right and so it was kind of like trying to portray really the ridiculousness of this racial conflict between these people who were the same so I, i don't know like it's it's jarring because it's a cartoon and I, mm-hmm. I don't feel like anyone really put any thought into 
the implications of, of that slur, right? Like, it was mm. just a, a cutesy thing to, to call them, like, uh, like I was saying, like, clankers and stuff. Mm. Um, but it, it, it does it does have, to me at least, deeper implications. Yeah, and I think my issue with it is not so much that they used it, and I think, again, like I, like Matthew, uh, haven't had... I've had the privilege of not having my race used against me ever. Um, but it's it's that they're just like absolved of it so quickly. Um, like by the end of the episode they've like they've learned their lesson that, you know, these are these are I'm gonna say humans, but they're not humans, but they're like sentient beings with like feelings and they deserve to be treated with respect. And it's just kinda like, okay, that's cool. Because because you got to know one of them, now you're absolved from having been racist to all of them yeah and i'll note another interesting distinction in this episode is that in in the clone wars most of the races speak english you know some with uh somewhat ridiculous accents and whatnot but here we have you know what is pretty much a completely alien race and they they speak their own language to each other mm-hmm. and to Obi-Wan and Obi-Wan knows I guess knows this language and speaks it back to them but but that draws a very clear line of distinction and separates them in my opinion. Yeah. Yeah, it definitely it definitely others them in a very important way and I think that that's that's definitely powerful. Um it's interesting because I I mean to to my mind I thought like we were saying about the writers being careless, I thought the writers were being incredibly intentional. Um, and maybe it's because again, it, it, I, I'm giving them way too much credit. Uh, cause to me, and I'll admit like when I was in high school and I, I was first starting to really be co- like having that moment of like, you know, wait a minute, all the stuff I've learned in history class isn't true. Like there, there's a lot more of these stories. I got really obsessed with Vietnam and Vietnam, uh, store movies and, 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 and books about it. And to me, the, one of my sort of primary, um, images of that is, the American soldier referring to a Vietnamese civilian um, with a slur that begins with G. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that and so, again, I guess that's that's exactly what I saw happening here. Um, but you're right. I mean, I don't I, I don't. Um, and it, it, it it's the it's the sort of thing that's been happening with the show a lot of like, is this a kid's show or is this not? Because I, I certainly think this is the most mature episode we've seen from this season. Um and and you might be right that's a little bit more mature than it's supposed to be if it's a kids show. I kind of loved it for that reason. Um but you're also right I think that the the tone of it is is very off. Um, well, I think they do a very good job of balancing that here cuz you get the kids show aspect of the giant flea monsters. Yeah. yeah. Which are like if I were a kid I'd be like cool like I want that toy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and the the uh the anti-aircraft gun robots. Mm-hmm. I would, I would have wanted that toy. Yeah, and the fighting against them is definitely in a very ridiculous kind of way. There's, there's a lot of um, prat falling among the the droids as they're, they're, you know, I think Anakin, uh, Obi Wan shoots one of them, and then the others blow each other up or something like that. Yeah, is this the episode where they're using binoculars, or is that next episode? I think it's next episode. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, yeah, that's... they're back to their like dopey comedic relief kind of droid mm-hmm. form. Yeah. Which is neat. I don't know. I, I mean, like, I like this episode a lot. I think we're like, I'm being like, we're being really critical of it, but I still really like. I love the episode. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it definitely gave me the feels. Um, so, what hit you about this episode? 
I think it, it, I mean, as much as I disliked it, it was, like, the sort of redemption arc, or just, like, Numa herself's a little girl. So, yeah, uh, Waxer and Boyle go off. They come across this uh, Twilight girl um, who's, like, very skittish and, like, obviously terrified because, you I mean, she, she's living in a war-ridden planet, um, mm-hmm. but helps them... Uh, Get, like, get their scouting done and get you by using these underground tunnels. Right? Yeah. Um, and they just they just get to know her. And you see, like, Waxer and Boyle. One of them, I, I forget which is which, they're clones. One of them is, like, soft to her right away and is, like, being very patient and sort of, like, older brother-y towards her. And the other is kind of, like, uh, another one of these people getting in her way and, like, throughout the episode, soften her and they, like, super duper care for her and she's been calling them this name and they're like no no i'm waxer and he's boyle and then she is it, uh, starts with an n her name nira. is Numa, nira and then at the end of the episode she says something about nira and they ask obi-wan like what she keeps calling us out what does that mean and, she, and he's like oh it means brother and you're just like yeah this yeah feels... I, I definitely teared up at that moment that was really sweet yeah and it's very like it's intentionally super tear jerky, and it's like it reminded me a lot of um, the the end of Infinity War when like post snap. I feel it's been long enough. I can talk about this, right? Yeah, that's fine. Right? Okay, um, and like Peter Parker is turning into dust, and you're just like, oh, I know you're gonna come back to life. There's another movie with you coming out soon, and like, but just him being all like pleading for his life with Tony just gone yeah. and I was like I know you're manipulating me I know you want me to cry right now <laughs> it was a Dang really it, heavy moment anyway. you're right yeah and so just that it felt very like this is it this is the the emotional punch here you go but yeah mm. it worked so um Numa is the name of the girl and what she mm-hmm. calls them is Nira yeah it's a little confusing yeah yeah I there's just so much about this episode that I thought was so powerful just because it it you know, so often we get like the war as being fought between these like, you know, huge armies and huge ships over a planet. And just to to really take it down to such the, the personal level of the story of at the end of the day, like two people dealing with one particular person in the battle. Um, yeah, it, it was really effective in a way that like, you know, watching a starship destroy another starship is just never going to have the same kind of weight. Yeah. And you do get, I mean, the idea of the true innocent in all this battle right like it's she's just a little girl right and it's important that th- these, these were clones interacting with her if it had been i don't know anakin and ahsoka i don't think it would have been as good yeah what why, why do you think that what's the difference well because the clones are have mostly been just a cannon fodder just the frontline troops and just like the uh, episode Rookies, getting to know individual clones mm-hmm. has yeah. a lot of, I think, a lot of emotional value for this series. Yeah. No, I, I, I very much agree, especially because I, I feel like, A, I mean, Jedi just by their nature are going to be much more empathetic in a situation like this. And I think, like, the Jedi would see what the clones are doing in terms of, um, you know not holding the Twi'leks in, like, full respect and regard as being, like, you know, the thing they're trying to avoid. Mm -hmm. Um, But I especially feel like part of what this is showing me is that, you know, 
the person who's going to be most susceptible to getting into that wartime kind of thinking of like the civilians are not our enemy, but they're kind of in the way. And I'm not like my main goal at this point is to win and to stay alive and to keep my buddy alive and worrying about the collateral damage to the civilians is just kind of like an annoyance instead of a a mission mission objective. Mm -hmm. Um, And I feel like the clones are the ones who would most fall into that kind of thinking because all they know is the war, you know, all they know it literally their entire lives has been preparing to go to battle. Um, And I think Boyle says something to that effect of like, you know, we're not, we're not trained to rescue civilians. That's not why we're here. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I I think part of why I love it is it's this really beautiful moment of the clones having to learn something that they were never supposed to learn in terms of the like actual, you know, I keep wanting to say human. I don't know was a better word, but the human yeah. cost, the human cost of the war they're fighting and, and how to break out of their role in order to do something about that. Yeah, definitely. I was just thinking like, what if there had been a scene where clones use that, the slur tailheads in front of Ahsoka, you know, even though she's a different race, she's got the same kind of oh, yeah. physical attributes just like having her react to that yeah i do wish there would have been some sort of accountability for it like at the end when you get the the moment of like oh she's calling you brother and they're both like er i sitting watching making my commentary was like oh sorry i was racist to you 20 minutes ago mm-hmm. um yeah like there's yeah. no so it's Bo- Boyle, right is the one who, who uses it so maybe having a different clone use that term in front of Boyle. And then him turning and saying, hey, they're Twi'leks. Yeah. Yeah, that would have been a really nice moment. It it does feel like this is one of a couple of times where the show is kind of like they're doing a really brave thing or a really like interesting thing, but then they don't want to go all the way. You know, they don't like like they want to show that soldiers can start to fall into, you know, really bad ways of seeing things. But they don't want to quite name that their hero character is a racist and have him have to, like, be accountable for that. Um, yeah. And I feel like that's something we've seen before in this show. That kind of, like, they introduce a really good idea, but they don't quite follow it through to the end that we would want them to. Do you think that's just, like, by virtue of it being a kid's show? I I think it's a combination of things. I think part of it is by virtue of being a kid's show, and so they don't want to, like, they want to hint at the idea that, that racism is playing on the edges, but they don't want to say, like, you know, yeah, one of these clones is kind of a terrible person or kind of or is just kind of, like, you know, locked in this warfare mindset. Um, I also think it's it's a kid's show, and, and they don't want to go too far into that kind of subtlety. Um, hmm. And I also think it's a 22-minute episode, um, yeah. and there's just not that much they can cover in that time. Um, it could also have to do with the makeup of their writing staff. Yeah, that's very true. I mean, when we say things like diversity is important, it's not just for the sake of diversity. It's it's to have people in place that can hold a group or organization, you know, like a group of writers accountable for yeah. certain issues and topics they might not have as much awareness of. So I mean, I, I don't know, you know, it, you can't really tell from yeah. the names, but if there was no person of color in this writing room when all of these ideas were being thrown about and someone was like, hey, like, we should have them call them tailheads, right? And like, oh, yeah, okay. And, yeah. and not really, no, no one there to say, mm, well, like, let's think about that. 
Well, and and I, I think and I, I know I keep going back to this, but I feel like you know, for my for my generation, but especially even for people older than me, like you know, that Vietnam in the media was such a defining like part of the 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 culture for such a long time. I could very easily see some writers who like you know they've seen a bunch of war movies and they know this is a thing that happens and and but their knowledge doesn't really go beyond that. Like you're saying, it's like they have an understanding of like yeah, you know, sometimes soldiers can like you know, get pissed at the people they're trying to save. So let's tell that story without really understanding like the nuance there and the like, you know, it, it, it's, I keep, I keep wondering like, what did the writers know? But here, one of my questions is like, did they, did they decide not to show a redemption arc for Boyle because they thought it wouldn't be okay? Or did they not realize Boyle needed a redemption arc? Yeah. I think, I think what you were saying about, it being like a 22 minute episode and not wanting to go too deep into these things. I think it sort of circles back to my like kids show thing, right? Like systemic Mm -hmm. racism is maybe not a topic you can cover in a format (laughs) appropriate for kids in 20 minutes while still trying to have like an engaging story. It's much better for a 15 minute segment in a podcast because we'll definitely solve it. (laughs) Oh yeah, that's going to be good. Well, I mean like we're also like not aimed at the same audience that, Uh, Clone Wars is, right? Like, I think we're assuming that our audience is familiar with systemic racism and the the issues therein. Um, Whereas, like, you hope that maybe a a 10-year-old isn't? Mm -hmm. Or, like, assume that a 10-year-old isn't, rather. Right. But But I think something like this teaches them. Yeah. Racism. Oh, instead of teaching them the parents? Instead of teaching them anti. I mean, oh, interesting. Okay, I, I but, I'm having trouble. I, I want to hear you out, but I I mean I'm having trouble with that one because to me it feels like such a clear lesson is that Boyle is even if it's like not his, even if the show isn't blaming him, it does seem pretty clear that Boyle is wrong to kind of write off the Twi'leks. What 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 is your take on it though? I I, don't, I my feeling on it is that if you're a kid watching this, the takeaway is. Twilight's or tailheads. Like mm-hmm. that, that's a you know you, you it's a catchy phrase and you pick up on that and then maybe you start if you have like Twilight toys or whatever and you're playing Clone Wars with your friends like you start throwing that phrase around and so I, I don't know like I, it just mm-hmm. the fact that it was seemingly a throwaway line I guess is what bothers me mm-hmm. the most. I don't know. I, I I see what you're saying. I don't necessarily agree because I do think like what Matthew is saying. The the moral of the story is Boyle was wrong to just try and disregard Mira. No, Numa. Numa. <laughs> okay. Uh, Boyle was wrong to just try and disregard Numa. And like I think if anything, and you're playing with your like, Clone War toys, like, you're more likely to to call. Like the droids clankers, right? Like I, don't, I think because it was just a throwaway line, it wasn't repeated so much. I don't know if a kid would, yeah, pick up on that and keep using it. But yeah, I mean, it is something that having that like neat little, hey, this is not an okay thing to say, could have been like a line or two mm-hmm. to just throw in at the end, and it, it's unfortunate that it wasn't there. Well, and I will say it. It also is interesting in the terms of a kids show because then it, um. 
I, I think a lot of this comes down to how are the kids experiencing this when watching it? Because I think, Ricky, you're making a good point that if this is the kind of thing that, like, it, I mean, even just for us to do it, but especially for, I think, for a younger person, you know, it involves some real kind of, like, analysis. So, like, let's sit down and talk about what we just watched. Um, and that for, you know, a kid who's just watching this on their own or with their friends uh, without any kind of a critical eye, I, I could easily see it becoming in the kind of direction you're talking about. Um, I'm going to give a brief plug for my other podcast, but because I think it's irrelevant here, um, on my podcast, uh, Superhero Ethics, uh, there will be an episode coming out probably a couple days uh, after this one, possibly a full week after, but I think just a couple days after this one, um, where we actually had on as a guest, um, Jared Silva, who I know you both know, um, who's a big fan and a parent. And the whole episode was about how as a parent, um, you sit, you know, what is, what is it like to, to watch media with the idea of planning to sit down with your kids and talk to them about it? Um, so I'd say certainly just kind of, um, it, it, it's what I kind of think of here of like, whether whatever the writers were thinking, I wonder what kind of conversations it could lead to between parents and kids or just, you know, between kids or parents or whoever about this episode. And and certainly to say to any of our fans, um, if you're parents, um, I'd be really curious what what your take on this this episode was. And, and if you watched it with your kids, what kind of reactions did kids have to it? Because um, I think certainly I'm 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 making Ricky, it seems like on some extent the heart of the disagreement is kind of like, what would a kid walk away from this with? And I admit I'm not a parent, so I'm not quite sure I can, I I have my thought and I also hear where you're coming from, but I also know I'm not a parent, so I can't quite know for sure. Yeah. And all all kids are are different as well. Right. So Mm -hmm. no, all human children are the same. I've studied their culture. (laughs) Yep. If you study Thomas, the tank engine and Barney, (laughs) you understand the art of children. And so, you know, everything forever. (laughs) Um, so what, let's kind of, um, we, there's two more to get through, but I think this one was such the heart and soul of the, this series, uh, or the, this series of episodes. What, what else about this episode do you guys want to con- comment on? Yeah, I think we've kind of said, at least I've kind of said all I wanted to say about this episode. I cried. Okay. <laughs> I cried. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I cried too. Yeah. It, that, that makes three of us. Um, I will say we don't get, a, I think we get much more of him in the next episode, but we get introduced to, um. Not introduced, but we, we, we see Mace Window Mace Windu on screen. Um Yeah. You know, for a good amount of this episode. And this is gonna sound blasphemous because, you know, Samuel Jackson is a fantastic actor, and I love the idea that Samuel Jackson was a Jedi. But watching him on screen, I could never really get into the mindset of, oh, that's Mace Windu, who happens to be played by Samuel Jackson. Instead, I was watching Samuel Jackson hold a lightsaber and trying really hard not to curse. Um, that was just <laughs> kind of like, and and so this actor is um, clearly to some extent doing a Samuel Jackson impersonation, but also winds up playing the character in a somewhat more understated way um, that I just, I just found I was really appreciating and really getting a sense of Mace Windu as a character that I don't think I ever got on screen. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so I, as I mentioned before, my first watching of the prequels, um, like I watched Phantom Menace when it came out, so I was about seven, eight years old. So I wasn't really familiar with Samuel L. Jackson's oeuvre at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, yeah, I, I don't think I ever had that, oh man, this is just Samuel L. Jackson with a purple lightsaber. Yeah. Um, but I totally get what you're saying in that the 
the idea of having a well-known celebrity. Like, um, when, uh, John, John Favreau was the voice of a character a little, a little while ago. And I, I couldn't, I was just like, oh, man, is that, is that John Favreau? And oh, interesting. I couldn't really get into it. Or like, oh, yeah. 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 That? I think it's like actually, or something? yeah, I think it's actually later in the, in the series. I don't think we've, I don't think it was in season one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I get what you're saying in that not having that iconic actor tied to Mace Windu lets you kind of get into his character a little more. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I George Takei, or is it is it George Takei or George Takai? Takei. Takei. Okay. Uh, George Takei played the um the part of the Neomodian general earlier in the season, and and he he got into that role a lot more. I I, I guess it's for me, and and you're right, it would be very different if this is what you first really saw uh, Jackson in. The things that I've seen Samuel Jackson play are so wildly different than this role. Sure. Um, like I said, it's the only time I've ever seen him on screen not cursing. <laughs> um, that it that I think that's part of what it threw me. But but in, either way, yeah, it it made me really interested in that character. Um, and, and excited to see uh more of him in the next episode. Were I to watch the prequels again, which is not a sacrifice I'm willing to make, uh, but I I think I agree with you that I wouldn't be able to get past the Samuel L. Jacksonness of Mace yeah. <laughs> It's true. And so we will see a lot more of Mace Windu's character in um, our next episode, uh, episode 21, Liberty on Ryloth, which we will talk more about right after this commercial message that we have no control over. And now we're back, and we're talking about episode 21. The battle for Ryloth rages as the Republic attempts to drive off the occupying droid army led by techno-union foreman Wat Tambor. With his forces stretched thin, Mace Windu must convince Twi'lek freedom fighter Cham Syndulla, to help him save the capital city from the droid's destruction. Initially, the Twi'lek hero is hesitant to aid Mace, but ultimately realizes that the Jedi can be trusted and joins with him to liberate the city and ultimately the planet in the climactic battle. Yeah, I, I want the Techno Union to like be playing EDM the whole time. <laughs> Basically, they just want to turn the whole planet into a rave. Yeah. <laughs> um... Yeah, I think this this episode opens with another why are you doing that moment mm-hmm. where they're... They're just bad at military. They're bad at military. Stuff. Yeah, where they're like walking along. They've got a, a walker and they're bringing it along like a thin edge of a mountain. And it's like, perhaps this is not the vehicle for the job, sirs. Yeah. Perhaps this is not the path yeah. to take. <laughs> yeah. that, that whole series of, of, of events seemed like it was... Yeah, it, 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 I wonder they're trying to give us like a Hannibal crossing the Alps moment, but I definitely didn't. It just seemed like, come on, there's got to be a better way that's less cinematic, but makes more military sense. Yeah. And also this, so this is the episode where we get the droids using binoculars. Oh, yeah. Which is another no, like, nonsensical. why isn't that just built into your eyes? Why <laughs> do you have binoculars? So you can get the other droid taking them away and let me see. Yeah, obviously. Yeah. Um, but, other than questionable military strategies, well, I guess we sort of get into other questionable military strategies, right? Like, um, the Twi'lek guy, Cham, Cham Sildula? What's his name? I'm reading it. I don't, I forget how it's pronounced. Um, Sindula. Yeah, mm-hmm. is, is also very leery of this military occupation, um, and wants to believe that the Jedi are there, and and he I think he makes a he's got a good line where he's talking to 
Mace Windu, um, he was asking, like, oh, okay, so then after you drive out the Separatists, are you gonna, are you gonna set up some folks here to protect us? And he's like, yeah, of course, we'll leave, like, we'll leave, we'll leave some troops behind. And he's like, ah, yes, and then how soon until you guys are the one who are, who are occupying us? Which is also, I think, very, there's a lot of, uh, parallels to American history. Yeah. Yeah, for the last episode, Matthew, you kept talking about Vietnam, but this to me like is just every every Middle Eastern country the United yep. States has been involved in mm-hmm. in the last I don't know forty years. Mm-hmm. So I I definitely had a very similar thought actually specifically Afghanistan, which is not uh, quite Middle East, but but I think very much in the same world you're talking about. But what what, what was the connection you were drawing? Um. What. Wasn't Saddam Hussein originally armed and supported by the U.S. against Iran, right? Yep. 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 Uh, we okay. we armed Saddam Hussein. Go. We armed um uh God, I was uh, Gaddafi, uh, I think, right? Os- uh, Osama bin Laden was aimed was was uh, armed by us along with, with the Mujahideen to fight the communists. Um, yeah. The communist Chinese were armed by not armed by us, but were certainly supported by us. Uh, to some extent, to help fight the um, the Japanese, as was uh, Ho Chi Minh in Vietnam. I mean, yeah, there, there's a long history of the U.S. saying, like, we will aid whoever we can uh, without really understanding that we're causing incredible domestic strife within the country we're trying to liberate. Yeah, so, like, today's freedom fighters are tomorrow's terrorists. Right. From from perspective of the United States. And it's it would not surprise me if within, like, 10 to 20 years we're talking about Kurds in the same way you know after they were abandoned oh, in yeah. Syria that mm-hmm. they, they turn on the US yeah I think I think that's incredibly likely I mean certainly that's you know um, not to keep going back to Vietnam but that was um, you know the the, the 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 movement that Ho Chi Minh led uh, in the northern part of Japanese occupied Vietnam um, was not he was not originally very deeply involved with the communists but it was only when um, the U.S. really turned turned their back on <clears throat> on his movement. That a lot of that changed, um, and yeah, so I, I just that's definitely the feeling I got, especially from the Jedi, where there was a real sense of like we don't really understand the incredible amount of complexity of the fight here between these two sides. Um, we just think you should all get along, and we're not gonna we're gonna throw you two guys together without really having any. I mean, there's no set plan for what's gonna happen after the Jedi leave. It's just like Everyone promises they're going to be good and get along, um, and who knows what that's going to be worth. Yeah, I, I, I really like this episode for that that reason especially, because I thought it's, you know, I I like when war causes difficult choices, when it's not just good guys versus bad guys. And the idea of this planet wants to be free, but two different groups have very different images of what that should look like, and they're mm. kind of... They're having trouble fighting the enemy because they're fighting each other over that. I mean, that's that's an incredibly believable and relatable story. I I also just like this episode for all of the mace wind doing it mm-hmm. going on. He is just ridiculous. I mean, like ridiculously powerful mm-hmm. as a Jedi. I mean, some of the stuff he does uh, towards the end, one of the uh, separatist tanks is approaching them and he just like uses the force to like unhinge the giant gate door and like make it fall onto the tank. It's like, <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I think that's, like, that's why we don't see Mace Windu in more of these episodes, because he's, he's just too strong. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I think we're, I think the movies told us that he was supposed to be, like, you know, far more of a Jedi than even Obi-Wan and was kind of on Yoda's level, if not actually even surpassing it in terms of, like, physical prowess as a Jedi. Um, but I feel like this is actually showing it to us in a way I never really got from the prequels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and he's also one of the, if not the top, uh, lightsaber duels in yes. Jedi Order. I think it's, I mean, I mean, the fact that he actually comes so close to defeating um, Chancellor Palpatine by the end of the, the third movie, and it's only with Anakin stepping in that mm-hmm. he stops him. Yeah, um, I mean, he, he does defeat him, like, in, in the actual sword fight. Right. Which so, loses to the distraction plus force lightning, which I guess if you haven't seen Sith in hundreds of years, you're like, oh, what's that? <laughs> well, that's lightning hands. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that, that actually raises an issue for me that, that's a little bit of a side note, but I wanted to kind of get into, which is that, um, you know, part of what's happening here in this episode is, or was it was it this episode or last episode where Palpatine plays an important role in the, yeah, it is with, that Palpatine is actually sort of part of the negotiations. Um. Actually, you know what? I, I, I'm going to save that question for next episode because Palpatine actually plays an even bigger one in that one. So I'm going to put a put in that, put a pin in that one. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, the Techno Union and Wat Tambor. What's what's your kind of take on a? Uh, um, we've seen him before, but he's this is the first time he's really kind of been center stage as an antagonist. What's what's your take on uh, Mr. Tambor and the Techno Union? Yeah, Jeffrey Tambor, as I repeatedly <laughs> referred to him. Um. Yeah. What's the deal with him? What's the deal? Okay. I so this is the guy who I Ooh. earlier referred to <laughs> as like two droids in a trench coat. Okay. Like he I I I don't get it. I mean I get it. You've just like done a weird computer synthesis thing to your voice and it's like it sounds like the Mac that I had in two thousand and nine. <laughs> when I yep. make it talk to me like it's it's just a really weird thing and it also looks like like he's got it looks like it is it is two children I'm gonna go past droids two children who are like standing on top of each other <laughs> and they've like put some weird body armor on and are using a voice synthesizer and have like a hoodie over their head like what is what is this guy what is he what's his what's his deal oh he's not a he's not a robot okay no he's definitely not what okay yeah no Sorry. he is um he's part he, he's part of a species let me see actually if i can find it um he's oh i i clicked on a, a link which is how i found out that he wasn't a droid okay so until two seconds ago i thought he was a droid okay he is a sentient species native to the planet sacco and in order to survive off the home world he's required to re- wear a pressure suit to simulate the unique atmosphere and pressure which is where i guess the weird voice comes in yeah, and that's why he's like every now and then he's like di- it's kind of like he's dialing a radio it seems to like adjust the frequency that he's speaking even though there's never anything that seems to indicate it should change for any reason. Um that Yeah. That always seemed a little weird. Um Huh. Huh. Well, I guess he is like a dude in a trench coat then, I suppose. If by trench coat you mean pressure suit. Yeah. Neat. <laughs> I mean, it is the uh I was saying before about how it seems like every every Humanoid race has the same, you know, um, atmospheric needs and stuff like that. And he clearly is, I, I think the implication is supposed to be that he's somewhat different. And so that's why he needs to breathe in the way he does and, and be in that machine. Um, what I thought was interesting was that that here we have a, um, 
a character who is portrayed as not just greedy in terms of like I want to conquer this planet, but but is so clearly like I'm going to endanger both myself and the mission and and winds up actually getting caught in part because he just wants to like steal more stuff. Yeah. Um mm-hmm. it's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's terrible it, in a comic way, I guess. Mhm. Yeah, I I I kind of liked him as a like one-off like random general in the Techno Union's forces when I realized he actually is the Techno Union leader, the one we saw talk to Count Dooku at yeah. the end of mm-hmm. the second movie and who gets killed on Mustafar on the third movie. I was like, really? Like, this is our big bet, one of our big bads, and he just wants to like steal some paintings and stuff? Well, I mean, the Techno Union's place within the Separatist the Confederacy, blah, blah, blah. I don't know. Whenever, They're nothing compared to the Banking Guild. Every, every time I hear Techno I no Union, idea. I just like need a beat to drop. Yeah. Techno yeah. Union. The internal politics of the, of the <laughs> Separatists really doesn't make much sense to me, quite honestly. Now, one thing I found out is that, um, and I hadn't realized this until I read the, the wiki about it, um, the Trade Federation uses droids, but it is actually the Techno Union um that created the droid armies and that builds the droids armies and that's 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 a part big part of why they're a big part of the the um the war and that um and i think we get more into this into later seasons so i don't want to spoil too much but just kind of on on general terms it is clear that wat tambor is doing what he's doing but at this point officially the techno union is still officially neutral they have a representative at the republic senate and like they sell wep like they build That's weapons right. to the republic too. Um Okay. The, the, like the banking guild is the same, right? They're like, oh, like we need to raise interest rates or something. Yeah, the lend, bank- lend money to the republic so they can buy more clones. The banking guild is very like purportedly neutral, but yeah, they're just like, We need to pass this bill so you can buy more stuff from us. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, there's there's a lot of stuff in this episode I really like, but the execution of it seems kind of weak. The whole like the big tense battle moment is that there's this plasma bridge, bridge. that they can't quite get across. Mm-hmm. Um except that very clearly Mace Windu can just basically leap across it um using just like kind of like bouncing off a couple ships that are falling off it in the middle. Um Yeah. Or I don't know. What happened to your spaceships? Yeah, that that, that would work like too. Gun, gunships. What happened to all of your vehicles that fly? Mm. Yeah, they should have used those to, to get over the mountain as well. Oh, or did I miss a piece of techno babble where they're like the the city is surrounded by a, a dampening field? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like just assume techno babble. They just like conveniently forget stuff that mm-hmm. they have. But then they get to like ride around on their kind of cool. Walker kangaroo things, yeah, and, and then and then and then the animals from I have spoken. Yeah, I have spoken's animals. Oh yeah, yep. Those are the ones that um I remember. Yeah, they call them the blur against sort of my ears picked up, and I was like, oh yeah, that's right. We see those in Mandalorian. Yeah, I I think it's I think that's neat that they're they're in Clone Wars. Like I assumed when I saw it in Mandalorian that it was just like a new little little frog dude. Mm-hmm. So it's neat to know that these characters are having sort of longevity throughout the series, throughout the, the Star Wars universe. Well, that way you can sell toys over and over again. Yeah. Because well, now, from the Mandalorian, gotta have the strange, like, biped shark head. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, there's when we were in Disneyland at the 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 Dark Spire Outpost, and there was like a quote unquote pet shop, and you could just buy a bunch of like little plushies of all the uh not all but most of the animals from Mm -hmm. the Star Wars universe, and I was like, I need all of these. I hear that. Yeah. Well, and I, I um so and because you guys got me thinking about this, um did we once again am I right we do again we again saw Obi-Wan riding a strange uh indigenous uh pack <gasps> oh, animal of some kind? Forgot to take a shot. Yes, yeah, he did. Okay. <laughs> Gosh, Obi-Wan. Obi-Wan is the Snow White of this series. Mm-hmm. Or like the Disney princess, I guess. Oh. Yeah. I I of the 3 I think the uh, the previous episode, episode nineteen, something else for Rylor. Storms over Ryloth. Innocence of Ryloth. This is storms of Ryloth. This yeah. is liberty on Ryloth. There's too many things happening on Ryloth. <laughs> Innocence of Ryloth. I think was my my favorite of the three. But mm. I, I mean, I don't know. I enjoyed this one too. I thought it brought up some good points, especially with the sort of like post occupation, post liberation occupation rather. Right, and I will say like. You know, you think back to the episode on the the planet that's not Hoth, um, with the creatures that aren't Wookies. Mm-hmm. Um, like in that, the conflict between like the two different uh, leaders of the of the planet or the moon was presented in very clear, like clearly, like the guy is a complete idiot and the woman is is the smart one. And and what I like here is that, you know, yes, freedom fighter is always going to seem a little bit more, you know, kind of romantic and. Um, sympathetic than like senator back in coruscant but i felt like the two of them were portrayed pretty evenly like i didn't walk away thinking like clearly one is right and the other is wrong i came away Mm -hmm. thinking like these two have a lot of enmity for reasons that we don't understand and we need them to work together but the fight between them is not something we're going to resolve today or that we're ever even going to understand today and i i really liked that yeah i just i just want to add a side note that completely unrelated to this We've, I've moved locations, and so now we're recording next to my cat's food bowl. So that's what that crunching noise in the background okay. is, and I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, no, I, uh, I agree. It doesn't, it doesn't seem like there's clearly the, like, like in the, um, what was the planet, the not Hoth planet with the, like, the Muftak guys? Or was the dude's name Muftak? Oh my goodness. Um, this I'm going to look it up while we talk about it. Two solid weeks ago. Um... Yeah. Uh, and, and anyway, yeah, there didn't seem to be that much of a, not necessarily power differential, but like ineptitude differential, I guess. Yeah. It was Senator Ryu Chuchuri and Chairman Cho of the nearby moon of Pantora. Pantora, yes. Pandora? Not yeah. Pandora. Where Pantera plays concerts every week. <laughs> and what are what are the dudes' names? Um... Where was it? I just looked at it a second ago. Um, do, 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 do. Uh, it's extraordinarily relevant information. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> Senator Rio Chuchuri and Chairman Cho. Yeah. Cho. No, the, 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 the fuzzy guys. What, yeah. what oh, them. I, I I don't remember. Okay. The right. lol. The lo- not the lols. Um, <laughs> the lols. Our, We've our, gotten ridiculously off track. The Talls, the Talls. Talls, okay. And Muftak is the name of the dude in the cantina then. Okay, moving on. Yeah, so uh, uh, anything more about this episode? I, I just, I'm excited. I want to get them to come back? Yeah. 
You so you were saying it's unclear which of the two is supposed to be the quote unquote hero. I thought it was Cham, Sindula, the freedom mm. fighter. Mm. And I in my head I am expecting a return to this plot line where the the senator is doing senator things and abusing his power and being greedy and Cham is the, the hero and he's trying to, to free his people from Sandbox clutches. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. what happens in the future. That I think that could definitely be it. I I hope that it's not quite that black and white. Like I would like it if there's if you know maybe like the the rebel leader has some good points, but maybe is a little extreme in his methods, and that there's some reason to be sympathetic to both. But um, I I think you're right. I definitely would like to go back to this planet and see see what's happening in a couple of years. Um, you know I I think. It, Especially because one thing that I would be very interested in is, and this this is again, this is something that it's a level of complexity maybe that was too much to hope for, but that I really would have liked to see in the actual movies done is that in that third movie, uh, Revenge of the Sith, when we get, um, you know, we basically see like the Galactic Republic and the Senate be very comfortable turning towards uh, the emperor, you know, him becoming the emperor and it becoming an empire instead of uh, a republic. Um, you know, to me, one of the biggest reasons why people often turn towards dictators and, and towards absolutism is when they feel like democracy has failed them. And a big part of that is when, like, there's been horrible warfare and chaos for far too long. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, I would have been very, int- like, we're seeing in the Clone Wars TV show which were the planets that were most devastated by the Clone Wars and which were the societies that were most affected. And I would have loved to see that kind of paid off a little bit in terms of like, yeah, you know, this terrible thing happened on this planet. And so they were some of the first to to cheer for, you know, the Empire because they wanted law and order or whatever that kind of thing would be. Um, Gosh. I mean, yeah, that, that would be something. Mm-hmm. To, see, to see like a vote tally <laughs> of who, who voted for the emperor empire ship yep for empires yeah well they did yes you vote for sorry at the end they voted to approve his like yeah they voted for having an empire right you vote for emperors yeah it it, it gives padme one of the few good lines in that movie but one i really love the um this is how democracy dies to thunderous applause Mm. Um, it's it's just it's just stunning because of how human supremacist the Empire is. And yet, most, it, it seems like in, in the shots of the Senate, mostly it's non-human races. Right. Well, and I... And, and yeah, and that's, it's something I actually want to talk to um, people who know the books about. So again, fans, if you do, please write in. Um, <clears throat> I, I Clearly, I think we're, we're supposed to understand that like there are humans on many planets. And it's not that humans were indigenous to many planets somehow it's that a lot of these planets are colonies that all came from whatever the original human planet was um yeah but that's a topic i've never heard explained and and, and you're right to this point i don't think we've seen any sign of the human supremacy of the the empire or or the that part of the republic that's coming so Um. wait are you saying that all these people would vote against their own interests Mm. Hmm. seems so so sci-fi and unrealistic thank god we don't have that in our own world um, yeah, phew. <laughs> all right. Well, I, I was just going to say as closing, I. it's funny. When I think of the Clone Wars, I think of three, four, and even five episode arcs that really go deep into a particular question or culture or issue. Um, 
and I, and we did see my, most of it in um this season was two episode or sometimes one or two three episode um and I, and and this I think this is also a really good arc as you said um <laughs> Riki it it tackles this one sort of conflict but from three very different perspectives and three different characters sets of characters um to me this really makes me excited about the coming seasons because it like I I think we're going to get a lot more arcs like this one yeah this I mean I was messaging you as i watched season one yes and I, when i got to this arc i was like oh okay so th- this is what the rest of the series is going to be that's yeah. fine yeah like i like i said earlier i think it's a it's an excellent closing to season one because it sort of sets you up to to want more like a lot of season one was kind of a slog um yeah, I think it's very but fair. yeah but you get to these these last four episodes yeah. and you're like oh so like in terms of arcs there was a three episode arc about destroying that that stupid starship. Oh Malevolence. god, the malevolence. malevolence. Yeah, that yeah. was bad. That was real bad. The less said about that the better. <laughs> but what about the blue shadow virus? Yeah, okay. The but blue, also blue shadow I can't even blue do that. Blue shadow virus. <laughs> Yeah. No, um, yeah, it, it is true actually. And at uh, some point, we, we may uh, um uh quote back some of those things because certainly. You know, I love showing people something, and I'm always a little hesitant when I show them something that I know does not start out great. Uh, and Ricky, you sent me a couple messages that made me like, "Oh God, what have I gotten my friend into? This was a terrible <laughs> idea." And and so later, when I suggested we do podcasts on the Clone Wars, I expected you to be like, "Hell no, I don't want to do that." And so I was super excited that you got to the good parts and got excited about it. Well, I mean, this first season is not as bad as Star Trek: The Next Generation season. I, I, that was what I was going to bring up. Yeah, in terms of bad first seasons. <laughs> yeah, when we when we started watching it, we watched it starting at season three, and then mm-hmm. once you've like fallen in love, you you go back and watch seasons one and two, and mm-hmm. you're like, oh yeah, yeah, because I can't imagine like introducing someone to Star Trek and like, oh here's Next Generation, like start from the beginning, and it's what like episode three episode two the it, the african planet yeah that's yeah. the no sorry episode two is the naked is, now is Wesley? Where, no episode two episode one is like good mission to farpoint sorry we're this has turned into a star trek podcast <laughs> um episode one is mission to farpoint which is good and it yep. like introduces everybody and um that's when q puts them all on trial Episode two is the Naked Now. Literally a copy of an original series episode. Where, where, where? The plot is they run into like a space virus that makes them all horny and they all have sex with each other. (laughs) They get drunk. They get drunk. But like. Which is where we learn the very important information that um, Data Data. is not only anatomically correct, but is programmed in multiple (laughs) forms of lovemaking. Yep. Yep. It's terrifying and it's horrible. And it, it keeps so coming up. Clone Wars. But then, and then episode three is like the the terrifyingly racist yeah. one. Yeah. Cad Cad, Cad Bane. Bane. Cad Bane. Yeah. Cad Bane. All right. Yes. Yeah, so let's talk about. Uh, um. We're back into the cowboy west of um the outlaws. Um, so good. Episode twenty two. Hostage crisis. <clears throat> In an attempt to force the release of the crime lord Zero the Hut from prison, bounty hunters seize control of the Senate building and hold members of the Senate hostage. Cad Bane, the leader of the operation, with the help of bounty hunter Aura Singh, issues his demands to Chancellor Palpatine, who has no choice but to meet his request. Unbeknownst to the hunters, Anakin is loose in the Senate building. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So, so wow. let's also frame wow. this properly. Um, we Did start you just with... say Palpatine? Yeah, for, that was my question. What'd you say? 
I think you said Palpatine instead of Palpatine. It's okay. We still oh. love you. His friends call him Sheev. <laughs> oh, God. I forget that that's his name. <laughs> Listen, Grand Moff Tarkin calls her Leah, okay? So, like, names can be flexible in this universe. Like, oh. I don't know what you're talking about, Han. Um, yeah, exactly. Um, but, 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 yeah, so let's, let's start just at the very beginning where we have, um, one more romantic scene between Anakin and, um, uh, Padme. Padme? I admit, I, I love you. Do you mean to prove how much I love you? No, I, no, I don't. But I'm going to prove how much I love you. That's okay, Anakin, you don't have to do that. I love you more than my lightsaber. Here's my lightsaber. Why don't you take my lightsaber? Because I love you. Oh my God. But also he suggests, like, let's go on a romantic getaway. She's like, no, I'm busy. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I have work to do. Well, and, and he's Not so that. offended. He's like, because what he then turns it into, like, well, but is our merit is our is our relationship not more important than your work? Like, it is. I, I feel <laughs> I like if he wanted to show a video to high schoolers about inappropriate toxic masculinity <laughs> in dating relationships, this would be the video you would show. Like, wait, 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 wait. Are you saying forcing your weapon upon someone to prove how much you love to them? Oh, it's God. not, and it's yeah. and I also love the fact that like he has to remind Padme and the audience that they are married instead of just senator and Jedi. Remember how we're married. Remember how we're married to each other because no one else does. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but just the whole the whole idea of I just yeah he he's you you can really see the gritty sand sand hating Anakin in this episode in this beginning episode yeah where he's like why why is your work more important than our love and he's like do you need do you need me to prove how much i love you and padme's like no nah, i'm good and he's like no i'm gonna do it anyway by giving her his weapon which is like clearly just a setup for the shenanigans later in the episode because we need we need a way for anakin to not have his lightsaber but yeah oh my goodness she's just like i feel like she couldn't be less into him like she just seems to treat him like a petulant child. Yeah, and, and she seems to act like a petulant child. Yeah, and and it's funny because I like there was a meme going around that shows some scenes between Anakin and uh, Padme from the show, contrasting oh. against um you know the the oh, Rilo Kylo the the mention the, the 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 scene that I I I bring up too much about sand that we will try not to go into here that you already brought up. Um, but it's so rough, and it gets everywhere. Yeah, exactly. Um, not me this time, Riggy. Um, but but the point being that, like, and it's sort of saying, like, you know, that the Anakin-Padme relationship makes so much more sense. Anakin is, like, actually romantic and actually, like, seductive. Not sexually, but, like, you know, you can understand why Padme would fall in love with the Anakin of the show far more than the movies. Uh, this episode does not show that at all. This is, this is straight up Hayden uh... Christian. I have no idea how to actually do romance. Yeah, I I wish this were a visual medium because I made a face when you suggested that. Yeah. I Yeah, I I don't know how and it, also what and also when? <laughs> I I mean, the only So Cad Bane so Cad is Bane. a character who was Hold introduced. On. I have a thing to say and I'm going to finish this thought. Um the only reason I think that the, the most charming Anakin is is when he's a little boy in the first episode phantom menace mm-hmm. and he's kind of like i raise pods um i'm, I'm a nine-year-old you're 14 this is cool and then like she seems to just be like well that little boy was charming once so let's hop I in the bed I'll with stick him stick with it yeah yeah anyway. when he's not nine anymore but yeah 
Anyway. Yeah. Cad Bane. Cad Bane. Cad <laughs> Bane. All right. So let's talk about the uh, um, the fun outlaws because Ugh. it's nice also because, I mean, now we see a completely different set of um, scum and villainy than the ones we got introduced to uh, in the past. Uh, Cad Bane, who is, like, he really needs to walk through swinging doors because <laughs> with his attitude and his hat, he really just looks like... The cowboy in some bad western movie, he goes up like, all right, who's causing trouble for the little lady here? Um, I feel like you mean amazing western movie. Okay. <laughs> I mean, you know, you say so, potato. So this, this character, did either of you ever watch the television show The Adventures of Briscoe County Jr.? I did not. I, I have okay. no idea what you just said. This, I was not in like literature. It's a, it's a cult <laughs> classic. Um, Bruce Campbell was the star. Oh. Of, of of Evil Dead fame? Yes. Okay. Of Burn Notice and, fame, please. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Go on. And it, and it had kind of a Hercules, the Legendary Journeys slash Xena vibe of like action adventure with just kind of self-referential comedy attached. Mm-hmm. And the primary villain of the show, really like Cad Bane reminds me of him. Yeah, of just like this sinister yet kind of lovable evil. Mm-hmm. Kind of lovable, extremely <laughs> lovable. Yeah, I mean, he, he, there's some definite scenery chewing that's happening from this character, and I am absolutely here for it. It, it mm-hmm. was a very nice change, and he just is like. Uh, now I'm forgetting what's the name of the other um, scum and villainy leader who had taken everyone prisoner a couple episodes Hondo back. Onaka. Yeah, like. This is a very different kind of person, but I love him as well. Like, I just find yeah. him so, so much fun to watch on screen. And they're, they're both, they both have that, like, I don't know, that, that certain je ne sais quoi of, like, ridiculousness, mm-hmm. but not too ridiculous. Yeah. Um, like, they're, they're very caricature-ish, and, like, Hondo Onaka is just space pirate. Cad Bane is just space cowboy. But it's just done so well, and it's so charming that this is like this. Is, this might be my favorite episode. I can of see that season one, just because this is like the the shenanigans that I want. Yeah, I also like. I think it's interesting that this episode, similar to um, an episode, the episode earlier on with the clones, is an out of an out of order episode. In that, in later seasons, we get. The, the bookends of this episode. Mm, that's think right. Interesting. But yeah, some more Cad Bane to come. But yeah, he's a uh, he's great. I love I love. We were talking about his voice earlier, and I love that it's like part cowboy accent, part weird vocal modulation because he has those like mm-hmm. tubes in his face, but it's not taken to the end like it was with Watt Tambor, where it was just like annoying to listen to. Yeah, it's it's not quite Christian Bale Batman levels of um. Yeah, <laughs> that too. That's maybe a better comparison. I don't know what you're talking about. Here's here's the scene though that I want to see. Mm-hmm. I want to see him and Hondo get together oh. and tell stories. Oh my gosh! And, and at one point, Hondo listens to his story about what happened and says, "So, do you understand what hostage means? <laughs> because the whole time Anakin's running around doing stuff that he doesn't want him to do, what Cad Bane never even comes close to the idea of is." Hey, Anakin, 
stop doing that or I'll kill a hostage. Like, it never occurs to him that, like, that's the biggest bargaining chip he has. Instead, he just keeps sending, like, groups of two against a Jedi. And then he sends it again because, oh, the Jedi doesn't have his lightsaber. So, of course, he's powerless. Like, yeah, it, it just I was just like, you have hostages. That's how you negotiate, dude. Come on. I feel like. Does he have a code? Well, not just a code. I feel like he didn't want it to get that messy. Because like, he, he was there to do one job, which was liberate Zero the Hut. Right. That's what he was paid for. Another charming oh, I, southern I accent. also love Zero the Hut so much. I know you disagree, Matthew, but he's amazing. Um, and yeah, so he was, he was just there to free Zero. That's what he's getting paid for. And I feel like murdering senators... Mm-hmm. Might get him a little more heat than he's uh, than he's being paid for. Yeah, that, I mean, but then, but that, but clearly he's ready to blow them all up. You know, I mean, that's the that's his thing at the end. Um, and and if he's not ready to do that, like, is the <laughs> whole, is the whole thing a bluff? Because I mean, the only thing stopping anyone from coming in to get him in the beginning is the fact that he's you know got the he has them hostage. Um, mm-hmm. I so so let me just say uh, let me say something on zero. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he would be a charming character if not for two things. One is um I just I don't I don't want that from a hut. You know, I want the huts to be Jabba. I want them to be scary and imposing and like there's none of that with this character. I mean to to your credit, I don't think Jabba wants this from a hut either. <laughs> That's also true. Um I think my other thing is and this is kinda like uh relevant to some of the conversations we were having earlier, um, you know, in terms of um like how how deep we're looking into these things. Um, he seems kind of gay coded, um, in a way that I'm I I wasn't really fully comfortable with and that he's so like flamboyantly like he's presented as male, but in a very like high pitched, whiny, feminine, complaining, like it it, it, it's in, in a way that like there's there's races that are portrayed as they're never outright saying it, but they're kind of playing upon racist stereotypes in, in the audience. It mm-hmm. felt to me that there was a kind of a little bit of like playing on homophobia in the audience in that th- it's not that they invented the trope. It's a very common trope, but this definitely felt like kind of a queer coded villain to me or a queer coded t- character. Yeah. I, I definitely see where you're coming from. I definitely got more like genteel land owning louisiana mm-hmm. that's fair um like he's 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 gonna be sitting on his plantation and like declaring yeah. things from so, his porch so later on in the series we we go back to zero's home planet and, and actual actual like home like we meet his mom and yeah. it's like a swamp with a, a rickety porch and a rocking chair <laughs> yeah and he also in in the bookend episodes he we also meet his girlfriend yeah Oh yeah. Hey. Um but yeah, I mean I definitely like I a comparison that I sort of thought of immediately was um in of mice and men the uh oh, the, the farm worker's son is <laughs> it's been Oh yeah. 25 years. Yeah, but he's like his main the thing they say about him, I forget his name entirely, I'm sorry, is like he 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 wears gloves filled with Vaseline. Yes. Um, and that's like meant to imply that like he doesn't he doesn't get his hands dirty or like he wants to soften the calluses on his hands because he doesn't want to like appear mm-hmm. to have been 
Does that work? Uh, a farm laborer, I guess. I don't know. Um, but I think, again, it there, like you were saying, there's some sort of, like, homophobia coding in that, too. Yeah. It, so, like, I, I get what you're saying. It, it's an element of, like, he's not a real man kind of a thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, and you're right. I mean, I, I think... I don't like this for the huts, but that that once we 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 have you know the the down on the bayou with the huts, it is kind of a very funny episode. So I, I will I will appreciate it more once we get to that. Yes. Uh, let, let, let's go to the question that I started to raise uh, about the last episode, but it's even more so in this one. Um, <laughs> we've not really talked much this season about Chancellor Palpatine. Um, Palpatine. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly just don't remember which is right. Um, it's pa- uh, the person who I will never believe has any family relationship to Ray. Um, oh my but, gosh! But um, um, who? So let me just start with this. Do you think that there's an? And actually, maybe Sarah, you can speak to this because you watched it. Do you think that young kids watching this don't know that he is also Darth Sidious, or is it supposed to be clear to everyone that he is obviously the bad guy pulling the strings in the background? Huh. I. That is really interesting. I don't think so. So when I watched the, uh, the 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 prequels, I didn't realize that Palpatine is hideous. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, in, in in the actual plot of the movies, I don't think you know until episode three. You don't know until the very end. And I I mean I didn't even realize that Anakin was like Darth Vader. So I mean, that's fair. But I was I was also seven. Um, uh. But yeah, I mean, it is it is sort of set up as this twist, um, which I guess is maybe less twisty now that you know about it. But yeah, I assuming that a kid is watching this, or not even a kid, someone is coming to this having not heard much about Star Wars um, and is watching them in chronological order. I don't think there you, you would have no reason to assume that Palpatine is Darth Sidious or that he's really evil in any way i mean there was some very heavy foreshadowing in the phantom menace but i can also understand yeah like as a seven or eight year old that may well have been missed um yeah that was not heavy he like looks at anakin and say it says like we will take great interest in your career or whatever mm-hmm. i think there was like there's a couple other moments that i i remember i i there was and someone then, else who asked mace, the same, same question who said that was the moment when they figured it out but i think you're right it, it may mace, mace and yoda are talking about um Darth Maul and they're and they're like the Sith always two there are a master and apprentice and then the camera pans directly to Palpatine. Yes, <laughs> um, but you're right. I mean, it's hard to tell like how much would someone rec- see or not see. Um, it, I guess my question is like, you know, looking back on it, we all know that he is Darth Sidious and that to a large extent he's pulling the strings and and manipulating all the events that happen. Um, mm-hmm. and or at least a good deal of them. And that they um, set this up. Uh, you know, so for example, like, you know, Sidious, Sidious wanted Grievous to, to take him prisoner at the the start of the third movie and all that kind of stuff. Um, that's why. Did, there, is, there is some stuff like him talking to Dooku that's a little, like, suspicious, but I don't even think you know that Dooku is... Right. Um, sorry, you were going to ask a question. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I, I guess so my question is, like, knowing what we do now, uh, and clearly the writers knew that, um, does this seem like something that Palpatine is to some extent directing from behind the scenes or is this whatever Palpatine's plans are, the scum and villainy are going to do their own thing. And, and he's as caught off guard as anybody. 
I think it's maybe a little of both. Like, I don't necessarily think that Palpatine orchestrated all this, but someone might have been like, yo, we're coming and we're taking Zero. And he would just been like, no, I just Yeah, I, I can see that. Um, it, It's definitely one that, I, it's a question that I want to keep going back to because it, it's, you know, and again, here I hope the writers were really doing their homework and sometimes I think they're just kind of being lazy about it, but when we have this character who has so many secret agendas, every time he appears on screen, I'm always going to be kind of asking, like, what's what's his real motivation here? You know, is he actually concerned about this? Is he wanting Cad Bane to get away? Or, you know, what what is happening here? I don't think he set this up. Mm-hmm. But I think because through this he meets Cad Bane, he hires him later to do some stuff. That's, that's fair. Because he, like, like doesn't, Cad, like, Cad Bane... Okay, Cad Bane is like, yo, Zero the Hut, please. And he was like, we'll never do it. Or like, who calls him to ask for Cad Bane back? I'm reading things, I'm sorry. No, it's okay. Yeah, um, yeah I, don't, I don't know, but like, um, Palpatine is not down there with the rest of the senators, is he? No, he's not. So like, that's a little convenient. Yeah, well, yeah, he's not down there, and then, like, 20 minutes into the crisis, when it looks like it's being resolved, the Republic troops, like, break in to, you know, break through the glass to make sure Palpatine's okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's a, it's an interesting thing to keep coming back to, I agree. Like, how much, how, how much orchestrating is Palpatine doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it was just something that came up to me, and I'm sure we'll, we'll come back to. Uh, what else about this episode kind of jumped out at you guys you wanted to talk about? Um, I don't think you need to be a Jedi to cut a hole in the floor. <laughs> yeah, that... Every now and then the Jedi come up with some secret plan that the enemy never thought of that you're kind of like, why, why didn't he think of that? Well, and it's also just like, so, so in the beginning of the episode, to prove his love, which Padme doesn't want him to do, but he does anyway... He, like, forces his lightsaber upon her. Mm-hmm. And then... Yeah, that's got... It. Um, I don't think then, that like, metaphor is intended, but it's very obvious. No, it's gross. Uh, and then it's, like, someone comes into her office, like, or- Organa knocks on the door or something, so he's got to, like, hide behind a curtain. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... <laughs> Who's feeding <favorite? laughs> Well, then, like, Padme just, like, walks out, still holding the lightsaber, and then they all get... Uh, Kidnapped? Hostage-napped? Taken hostage? That's the word. Um, and she's still got the lightsaber the whole time. And in the end, to to escape this hostage situation, Anakin eventually fights off these assassins without his captured. lightsaber. He gets captured. He gets put in, and he's like, can I have my lightsaber back? And she's like, yeah, here you go. You, Oh, Jedi, you dropped this, and I picked this up for you because you dropped it. Mr. Jedi. And he's like, oh, thanks, Senator. And then he just cuts a hole in the floor with the lightsaber, and they fall through, and then they don't get blown up. But, like, couldn't Padme have just done that the whole time? Yeah. Yeah, that that's, that's also very true. Right? Like, it's not a special, like, thumbprint locked only Anakin can use no, I mean, his lightsaber. If Han can, if Han can uh, um, uh, open up a- cut open a, a tauntaun, like, why can't yeah. she cut open the floor? Yes, these are the questions. But yeah, and it, it feel like it's it's meant to be another like that. Like, why does Padme have this lightsaber? Should be another huge tip off. 
except for the fact that oh no no these two have no chemistry whatsoever mm-hmm. so there's no way like Bail Organa is going to be like something going on with you two he's like no clearly you barely even like each other we have hit that part in the if this was a you know teen rom-com my my ability to suspend disbelief that no one around them has noticed is completely out the window Obi-Wan has noticed yeah but I'm convinced Maybe, but even then, like, I think they just, they just have so little chemistry that I think it's completely believable that they're not husband and wife because, my goodness, they should not be husband and wife. I mean, they can't be husband and wife because they fight too much is is unfortunately far too hopeful about marriage in the modern day and age. Well, not even they fight too much. They don't even really fight. They just don't even seem to like each other. Yeah. No, I, I get that. I mean, certainly we're not... I, I think in later seasons, we see a lot more of that connection between them. We're not seeing it all here. I think that's something I would mm-hmm. definitely agree with. Yeah. Well, there's um also some other, like, wonderful characters. Oh, yeah. We, in this episode. So this is the first time we see Aura sing. Sure is. Yeah. And she is someone that had so much hype after the Phantom Menace. So it's like worse than Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. Boba Fett at least has like three lines in Empire and captures Han Solo, right? Aura Singh is standing like on top of a hill with her like big rifle during the pod race. Interesting. I don't, I do not remember Aura Singh from the prequels. Well, you wouldn't because she's <laughs> standing, standing on top of a hill okay. with yeah, her I, rifle. Sure. I have literally no memory of who you're talking about. And. The only reason I knew about her at this point was they made her a character in one of the card games. Mm-hmm. And she was like super powerful and a bounty hunter. It's like, who the heck is this character? It's like, oh, she was standing on the hill during the pod race. But yeah. but she had, she, like, coming out of that, like, based on her attributes in the card game, she had, she had like, Boba Fett type aura around yeah. her. An aura terms. thing? Yeah. In terms of how powerful she was. Aura sings her name. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. Cause I, I, like I noticed like, okay, there seems to be like a badass woman um, pirate with them or, uh, you know, part of the gang with a interesting Mohawk, but I didn't know anything that she was like kind of a known character. Yeah. And then she gets named her up in uh, solo, right? Mm-hmm. Does she? I, I've blanked out most of that movie. <gasps> what? Oh, I like solo. Um, there's also like, the moist fellow. What? I know. I'm trying to find his name. He's like so. There's another one of the. Um, it's the same species as Hondo. Okay. Uh, as part of a gang of bounty hunters, so another yeah. of a space pirate. Is it just his lieutenant? Because he has so. like the same Australian the same accent and the same hat. Um. Yeah. The the weak way. Yes. Um, this is the one who's kind of like the computer hacker, and he's kind of small and diminutive. And, and no, 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 no. This is this is the guy who looks. He's the same species as Hondo Onaka, and he's like got a little sassy beret on. Okay. Um, oh, I think I know the, the guy. About, yeah. Yeah, I I would like to know the small computer hacker guy's name because he is adorable. Um, it, it's definitely something I like, refer to as moist. But yeah, they, they filled out that the the world a little bit more, you know, like each instead of it just being like Hondo and his sidekick and like ten, you know, utterly replaceable pirates. It's like there's five different people in this gang, and they each have a very distinct role and a distinct character. And I I really appreciated that. Yeah, I, R- Robanio is I found him. Okay, Robanio is his name. 
He is a patrolman from Petrolia. And yeah, he's like a little computer hacker dude who's small and like sounds like he just got out of a pool. He has like fish gills. And yeah, it's very, I don't know, he's he's charming. He shows up in later heist-related episodes and is just like kind of bumbling, but like bumbling in a in the sort of um Columbo kind of way mm-hmm. where I think he's like pretending to bumble. You got to have your computer guy. You got to have your computer guy. Yeah. yeah. It's just like I if there was a show that was just these guys, these these bounty hunters, I would watch it 100%. Yeah. Doesn't that exist? Better. It should. But yeah, or a thing in this episode she also gets to be cool but also mysterious does she even like have any lines i don't know i think maybe just like okay we'll go get like she gets ordered in the second round to go get um anakin now they know he doesn't have lightsaber i think she says like okay boss or something that's about it yeah um i i do want to just say one more thing about cad bane and his strategy of hostage taking um sure yeah and here again i think he makes a terrible mistake but no one seems to care um you know the hard part of any hostage situation should always be or at least as I understand, I'm sounding kind of creepy that I think about this so much, um, but should be, <laughs> I really like the movie The Negotiator, okay? But okay, it, you know, okay. it should be that, like, how do you get away without them just catching you immediately, you know? And mm-hmm. that the idea is always supposed to be that you actually have, like, the gun to the hostage's head in some proverbial way right up until the moment when you fully disappear so the cops can't just come out and grab yeah. you. Yeah. You take one hostage with you. Yeah. Cad Bane is still on Coruscant. He is flying around Coruscant when he, as he believes it, kills all the senators. Um, Yeah. What? What? <laughs> like, none of this makes any Coruscant sense. Coruscant is a big place. I feel like you could just disappear. Yeah. So immediately. Is, cor- is it cor- Okay. Is Coruscant a whole planet? I thought Coruscant was a planet. Yeah, it's the it whole is. planet. It's a okay. it's the planet is a, a, big is a city, city planet. There's like literally no nature on this planet. Yeah, it's one entire city of a planet. I feel like, yeah, it's like I don't think in, you have to get off planet to completely disappear, yeah. right? Like, and, and it's like so tall too. But like they wouldn't yeah, have like, had someone follow. I, I, I don't know. I, I I'm trying to go Law and Order Coruscant here, and that's probably a little bit too much. But uh, it just it was just like one more moment. You, where I was like, Come if you on, go guys. down to the surface, or at least like the lower levels, you just disappear. Mm-hmm. I guess there's that's like fair. A diner that Obi Wan goes to. It's just like yeah. 1950s diner. Because <laughs> if but you they put out an APB their... on a banjo playing purple hut uh, on a city. <laughs> I'm sure he's totally going to blend in. You know, no one's going to pick up. There's yet one more purple hut with a Cajun accent. Sure. Yeah, I guess. But they, I mean, <laughs> they all pile into their getaway vehicle, which is like the convertible speeder looking yeah, why thing. why are they all convertibles? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's for, so we can see everybody easily, right? It's mm-hmm. like why everybody eats on the same side of the dining table in every sitcom. But, um... Yeah, and then they like go go away, and and uh, Cad Bane complains about not having his money yet, and yeah, Zeros are like, oh dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I think overall, this is definitely a very fun episode, and 
it's funny. At first, we were sort of saying, like, you know, why is this episode here? The more I think about it, the more I actually think it's a helpful thing that we had this, like, because, again, there's there's a real duality in this. Like, we're in a fun, silly kids show. We're exploring Mm -hmm. the depths of depravity that warfare can take people into. Um, Mm -hmm. And so I kind of like the more I think about it. At first, it seemed very out of place. But the more I think about it, especially if this was like a weekly show right before, you know, the, the season break. I think I like having like this very intense trilogy and then, you know, this kind of fun one off, uh, as you said, Sarah, like remembering what you love about this before we get back into the the, the intensity. Yeah, it's a super nice palette cleanser. Um, from... Is it... hmm? Isn't season two like the bounty hunter themed season? I think so. Yeah, it starts with the holocron. Yeah. Again, no, people may not have seen it yet, so not get too many spoilers. Um, that is the name of the episode. Um, but yeah, yeah. They each, so each um, season has a has a theme about it. Mm-hmm. And I guess this one was clones theme? Like what was... We get, no, we get a more clones-centric season. Does season one not really have a theme? It's kind of the introduction theme. Anyway, yeah. Season two focuses a lot more on a variety of bounty hunters. And it's delightful. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's a nice way... To, to to end the season by having this this fun episode like I don't think I would want to end on the the previous episode mm-hmm. the, or the, even the Ryloth arc just because like as good as it is it is really heavy yeah um, having this fun note even though it does deal with like bounty hunters hostage taking it's it's a lot more action packed and it's a lot less um, heavy subject matter yeah yes no, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, any uh, on that subject? Any other kind of last things, or can we uh, 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 transition to our own little bit of uh, lightheartedness and and do one more guessing game about the uh, propaganda messages at the end? Yeah, let's uh, let's do that. Ricky has gone to retrieve his laptop and will return momentarily. <clears throat> also, my cat's knocking stuff off of the counter behind us. I'm sorry. We. Because uh, we're both working from home now, we have to restructure our apartment uh-huh. a little bit. So I'm in a fun new location, which is where we record from. Okay. Okay, he's back. Are you ready? I am ready. So, uh, and for everyone who doesn't know, this is uh, one more time. We are, uh, Riki was, was good enough to point out that um, the opening propaganda messages sound a lot like fortune cookie messages. And has been testing Sarah and I to see when we can tell the difference between a fortune cookie message and the message from the show. And I think we're at about like 70% maybe. Like we're doing pretty good, but we're certainly not getting all of them. I'll tally it up after this episode. Yeah, some of them are fairly obvious, but some are tricky. Like, you'll see. You'll see. Okay. Episode 19, Storm Over Ryloth. The key word is road. Quote number one. It is a rough road that leads to the heights of greatness. Quote number two. Stop thinking about the road not taken and pave over the one you did. Oh my goodness. Those are both good. So I, I think the the second sounds a, doesn't sound quite as Star Warsian as the first. They But, but they oh. both could very easily be fortune cookie messages. Um, See, I was going to say the second one was the Star Wars one because it's all about, like, Ahsoka paving over the the wrong road that she traveled. Yeah. Oof. Um, 
I, I think it's the first one. I think the first one is Star Wars. Okay, I'm going to say the second one. All right. Matthew is correct. Oh. Nice. Okay, also, that's a weird fortune cookie message. I just want to... <laughs> I don't know. Don't blame me. Listen, you know... Blame fortunecookiemessage.com. Sometimes you work at a fortune cookie company, and your brother-in-law owns a you know construction paving company. company, and you're trying to throw him <laughs> some business, and you know, you're just trying to get people thinking about it. <laughs> okay. Episode 20, Innocence of Ryloth. The keyword that connects them is cost. Quote number one, love is free. Lust will cost you everything you have. Quote number two, the cost of war can never be truly accounted for. Okay, it's... It's obviously number two. Yeah, right? the, the the second one sounds v- very in line with what this show, with the episode's about. And I I feel like lust is a little bit too much of a PG thirteen word for uh, this show. <laughs> yeah, the idea of like systemic racism, not too much of a PG thirteen mm. idea. But yeah, no, I totally agree. But it's also like a weird fortune cookie message. Yeah, you're correct. Okay, and that one. Like I said, especially like starting in season two, when there's a lot more stuff to do with war and whatnot, I don't, I don't think we can play this game. And that one was definitely difficult because it's like I can't use the keyword war. That's just <laughs> there's not, not a lot of fortune cookies dealing no. with war. All right, episode twenty-one, Liberty on Ryloth. Keyword was virtue. Quote number one: What's vice today may be virtue tomorrow. And, quote number two, compromise is a virtue to be cultivated, not a weakness to be despised. Oh my goodness. Okay. My initial reaction was, it has to be number two, because number one sounded so fortune cookie-y, but number two sounds very fortune cookie-y as well. Yeah, but this whole episode... Oh, no, wait, no, this is... Wait, this is... Which one? This is the one about... The, this is the freedom fighter yeah, who's occupying the, us, will you occupy us That episode is all about them learning to compromise. So I think mm. it's that one. Yeah, I'll go with you on that. Wow. You are correct. Nice. Yay. Episode 22, Hostage Crisis. Keyword is trust. Quote number one, a secret shared is a trust formed. Quote number two, trust your intuition. Okay, I, I have to abstain because I... Uh, in the in one of the episode wikis, I read that. Okay. I read the line. <clears throat> I think I think the first one is the Star Wars one. The second one, just like, it's weird because the first one doesn't quite line up with what this episode is about, but the second one is just so clearly a fortune cookie message that I I think it has to be the first one. The first one is Star Wars. A secret shared is a trust form. You are yes, correct. Yeah. Okay. Right. I saw that in the on the episode wiki, and I was like, why is this? quote here that's weird because you're right it doesn't make a ton of sense oh it's it's listed as the moral so instead of the propaganda message it's the moral at the beginning of the episodes yeah huh. i also like i yeah hmm. that is a weird one a secret shared is a trust form is it are they talking about um anakin and padme presumably weird yeah. All right. Well, 
So season one is over. Yeah, this was a long final episode, but what? What was your favorite part of the season, Sarah? Oh me, um, gosh, I probably both uh, Cad Bane and Hondo Onaka. Um, season season one definitely is not my fave. So if you're watching along with us and you're kind of like, what up with Clone Wars? This is not great. Just stick it out. Season two gets amazing. It, it definitely gets um, much better. But yeah, I, I mean, I I think this episode is probably my favorite one. Mm-hmm. But yeah, we've gotten introduced to a lot of fun characters. Uh, and I, I, I like already the arc that Ahsoka has taken. At the beginning of the season, she was just extremely annoying. Um, and I noticed a lot when we went back and watched... Um, it we all watched it over again, and by the end of the season, she's she's grown a lot. So I think that's awesome. Uh, yeah, my favorite characters: Cad Bane, Hondo Anaka, and uh, Ventress. Yeah, Matthew. Oh yeah, it, it's interesting. I, I I feel like I'm trying to think about it just watching the season because knowing like knowing where things are going in later seasons, like I I. I find Ventress and Ahsoka to have such fascinating character arcs that I love seeing the beginnings. Um, mm-hmm. But I would say overall, I think the two things I think I like most, honestly, are, um, you know, I, I've been talking a lot the last two episodes that we've done about warfare. And I think that that the, the degree to which they're starting to really get into, like, Clone Wars is a war. And, like, the stuff, the bad stuff that happens in wars happens here. And we're going to help kids see that. Um, I really love that. Um but the other part is that, like, like yes, it's uneven, and yes, it's imperfect, but I feel like already in this season, we have gotten more subtlety about what it is that, that takes Anakin Skywalker on his journey to becoming Darth Vader. Like, just the oh, little bits we're starting to see of him being more attached than he's supposed to be, and him having so much of this, like, feeling of um, failure when he can't keep his people safe. Um you know, it's 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 not perfect, but it it it's you know, for me as someone who grew up watching the original trilogy over and over again, I, I remember I had a long set of conversations with my best friend Paul, um, who really helped me like shift my understanding from thinking that the the main protagonist of the original series was Luke to realizing it, it's it's Darth Vader, like that it it mm-hmm. really is his story, and. So when the pre when I first heard the prequels were coming out, the only thing I cared about was that we were going to get to see the fall of Anakin Skywalker. And I was so fundamentally disappointed with how the movies did that that I think I'm just even just in this one season, we're starting to see the subtlety that those movies never got to, that I'm I'm just I'm I'm so here for it. I'm really excited to see more of it. Yeah, definitely. And I think like at end of season one, Anakin is still very much the hero mm-hmm. of of this this show. Hmm. Well, my favorite thing, I think, has been the clones. Really getting to see, you know, even though they're all voiced by the same voice actor, getting to see different personalities in them, mm-hmm. especially Rex, you yeah. know, who is new to us via the show, and just seeing him develop as a character. And, of course, like, most of these are one-shot clones, but, you know, the the one we just talked about with Waxer and Boyle mm-hmm. was very good. And then the, the Rookies one mm-hmm. 
where uh, Rex and Cody interact with the new clones was also very nice. So especially, you know, it's called Clone Wars and, and they're such an integral part of the story. I think getting to know individual clones has been delightful. Yeah. And, and I'll say maybe, maybe the best thing I can say about the season is like everything that you all just said, I was thinking as you say it, oh wait, no, maybe that should be my favorite. Like, yeah, it, it's, it's, you know, there was a lot of really bad episodes, but still like the, the fact that we have so many different things we could point to of like overall themes of the season. Um, it, it's to me one of the best endorsements of why this show is, is, you know, like TNG and like a lot of other shows, you got slogged through the first season, but there's a lot of good mm-hmm. stuff coming up. And I think also like TNG, like it had a great first episode. And I think like thinking back to it even now, that first episode where Yoda, Yoda. yeah, where Yoda's taking these, these clones through, um, the Todarians? Todarians? Yeah, whatever that is. Yeah, and, uh, and highlighting their individuality, right? Like that theme, even though we don't really see much more of, of Yoda, um, the theme of like these clones as individuals and these clones learning that they're individuals instead of just seeing themselves as instruments of war is, is really, yeah. Yeah. Mm. That's powerful. What the Clone Wars is about. Well, even those bad episodes, hopefully they sold a lot of toys. Yeah. <laughs> I have no doubt about it. I, you know what? I'm not that worried about George Lucas. I think he's doing okay. He'll be okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, fans, uh, thank you so much for getting with us to the end of season one. Um, You've heard from us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, what did you think of this episode? What do you think of these episodes? What did you think of this first season? Um, you can share your thoughts with us. Um, we have Twitter. We have Facebook. We have Gmail. I realize I may have been saying the wrong ones in my speech, but all of them, links to them, are in the show notes. Um, uh, with a lot of other great podcasts going on as well uh, on the Stranded Panda uh, Podcast Network. You can find them, some that I'm part of, some that our friends are part of. Um Guys, thank you so much. We'll look forward to uh, – um, I'm going to take a bit of a hiatus after this episode because uh, I'm about to move. And doing that in the midst of a quarantine time means that um, my partner and I have about 10 pieces of Ikea furniture. We're going to be putting together all by ourselves. So um, it's a little and, – and my work has gotten very crazy because my, my, my work is actually all about helping kids get access to technology, um, which is so vital now with uh, the distance learning and stuff. So – We'll probably take a, a hiatus for a week or two, but we will be back. Um, and until then, uh, Riki, Sarah, thank you all so much. Uh, to our listeners, thank you. Have a good day. Thanks. Are you going to say thank you? I have spoken. Okay, there you go. <laughs>